Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody also enjoyed our last episode with Harry Watling. Before we introduce today's guest, we do want to mention our partnership with clothing company, Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England clothing bands strive to provide premium, aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect. I do believe nowadays you will have some players or young players, young boys who wants to become a football player to become the next Neymar, for instance. And why I'm saying this? Because I do feel there's a massive difference between loving the game for what it means and loving the game for what it brings. We're excited to welcome Gail Clichy onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Gail is a three-time Premier League winner, winning it as one of Arsenal's Invincibles in 2004 and two more times with Manchester City. After finishing his illustrious footballing career, which included playing 20 times for the French national team, Gail went into coaching and recently got named assistant manager of the French under-21 national team, working alongside Thierry Henry. Gail, welcome and thank you for coming on to the Golders podcast today. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited. We've been talking about it for a few, few weeks now. And... Uh, yeah, glad to be here with you. Yeah, of course. Well, we're looking forward to having you on. So, first question, as always, gold dust to us is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does gold dust mean to you? Yeah, it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. I will uh, I will take this back to when I signed in Turkey. Obviously, it was a very different environment than uh, what I was used to with Arsenal and City. But then what I've learned there is that um, they, they use this word saying that, you know, you need to be able to touch people, you know, um, which is which is obvious. But at a certain level, you are so much guided with results that sometimes if you don't put the details on this matter, you can find yourself in a situation where you don't really feel that on a daily basis um in turkey they're pretty much oriented toward this uh, my club was a family club so they were really trying to keep everybody involved and what I, I got from them is that obviously everything that you do you want to excel you want to be the best uh, that you can you want to have results you want to win silverware but in the end life is about making connection and sharing your knowledge with people so when you're asking me that question, for me, it brings me back to, to Turkey because I do believe now, maybe because I'm older and I'm in that transition mode where I'm becoming a coach, and this is a matter of months, I would say, I do see the importance within a group to be able to, to share and to kind of touch the person next to you uh, because you can spend and have spent so much time with my teammates, sometimes more time with my teammate and my, my own family uh, and that's pretty much the same for everybody who works in life but you find yourself in a situation where you don't really know your teammates because you don't share enough you don't share personal details you don't share 
uh, troubles, you don't share happiness. Um, so you will have the, the, the usual moment where somebody become a father and then, you know, obviously he has to take the morning off. So everybody knows that he has a baby or somebody had to leave training because something bad happened and you've just lost someone in your family. That's the obvious ones. But I would say that in everyday situation, you have things that you need to be able to share. And for me, that question brings me back to that. You know, you, you the end word of life is, is about sharing, sharing knowledge, sharing experiences, sharing um, issues, sharing happiness, sharing a moment where you feel down. And uh, and a podcast in in a way is is for that. And at my age now, I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm really happy to be able to 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 share with the young people. But not only the young people, you know, anyone who who, who is eager to to learn from me, as much as I was when I was younger, I'm down to that. So uh, that question is a very good one, and uh, it's a long answer. But that's that's how I feel about the the, the question. I think it's it's quite enriching to hear that. Gail, because connecting with people, we tend to forget about the importance of connection and what relevance that does have on on building relationships and the power of it or the power of having a connection with someone else during these, these playing experiences uh, actually transform and or we transition as we get older. And so it's, it's lovely to hear that. But Whilst we're talking about sharing, your journey as a as a professional footballer has been incredibly inspiring. From your early days to your time at big top clubs, you played at Arsenal, you played at Man City. Uh, you've had a remarkable career, I think it'd be, be, be true to say. Could you take us, however, back to the beginning and share how your passion for football first ignited? And secondly... What was it that drove you to pursue it professionally? Well, I think that, that's a that's a very good one also because I do believe that uh, I wouldn't say that I love football differently than the new generation, uh, not at all, and 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 certainly not making it general. But I do feel that uh, my generation used to love football because we love football. Uh, I, I do believe nowadays you will have some players or young players, young boys who wants to become a football player to become the next Neymar, for instance. And why I'm saying this, because I do feel there's a massive difference between loving the game for what it means and loving the game for what it brings. Um, if I'm being honest, I realized what football could bring me after my first year at Arsenal. So uh, invincible season, playing with the best player that you have around the world, and really, it's that moment when I'm doing the lap of honor uh, in front of the fan at the um, Ivory Stadium that I fully understood what football was going to bring me in terms of uh, uh, financial. Uh, financially, it could bring um, uh, and save a lot of issue to my family. Um, uh, the fact that people knew me, the fact that uh, you can actually write football history with your own name. Um, so it's just to say that up to 18, I wasn't really focused on what football was going to bring me. I was just playing the game because I wasn't aware that, uh, I, I was just aware that that's, that's, that was my passion and I wanted to do it. So football for me started when I was really young. My dad used to play football, uh, amateur level. 
he used to take me everywhere I was going. I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only uh, player who had that story. Um, and I'm coming from a very modest family and uh, and football was pretty much what uh, the only thing I, I could do as an extra activity after school. And this is all I wanted to do. So at school, if I had to draw uh, a picture, I would be drawing a picture of a football player uh, during carnival time. If I had to uh, to dress up as some something, I would be dressing up as a as a football player. So you can name it. Anything that I was doing in my everyday life was was linked to football. And um, and then often, you know, you 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 always look for the for the bigger picture. For me, it was all about. The next objective. So when I was little, I wanted to play for the best team in my town. And then uh, there were this football school, which uh, was important. So that was the next objective. And then when you get to the next objective, I was always looking for the next one. So after that, I joined a, a team, uh, um, um, a school, a football school like La Fontaine in Paris. But that's the one in South, uh, which is called uh, Castelmoreau. And from that moment on, you know you are part of the 20 best players within the, the area. So already something is happening. Um, but then when you get there, you realize that you are not the best, perhaps. And you have done nothing in football because then you need to sign a pro uh, professional contract with a professional club. So that's the next objective. When you reach that objective, for me, that was in Cannes, south of France. Uh, a beautiful club uh, with a lot of players that uh, went through the academy: Zidane, Patrick Vera, um, Peter Luxen, and you can name you know a few. And then when you get there, you have a three years contract as a as a, a free professional player, and then you find yourself in a situation where well, you think, I mean, you you always thought that it was the main objective, and then when you get there, the real objective is to become professional. So then that's your next objective. And then eventually when you touch the first team uh, of the club, you realize that, you know, you have the potential to go above that and so on. So, you know, it's a constant uh, evolution, a constant, uh, constantly, you know, questioning yourself on where you want to go next. Um, you have seen so many players signing a beautiful contract and then, you know, playing for a year and then they just crumble because of pressure, because of uh, I have made it and I don't need to work more. I believe that those who love the game, the way I love the game, always find themselves the next objective, the next thing that you want to reach. And, and you're doing all of this without pressure because this is what you are meant to do. You know, when, when people are saying, you know, if you work, and you do something that you enjoy and you love, you know, you don't you don't count the hours. You don't use the sacrifice word because it's not sacrifices. You know, it's just what you want to do. And you will take everything, you know, to to make it happen. Then I will make it happen. So uh, that's 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 a long that's a long long time from the moment I started. But he started with my dad. He started with my dad, and he started with the fact that I love the game so much. That today at 38, uh, I still want to play. I still want to play, and I still need to feel the the smell of the grass and um, and the sound of the ball when you hit the ball. You know that's um, that's a beautiful thing because I never believed that I've, I was actually working. Uh, and for me to be able to say to my kids that I'm going as a work, I'm going to play football. Uh, this is beautiful. This is what I say to the young players. You know, I've been coaching at Servette is that. 
uh, when something is a little bit rough and difficult, I tell them, listen, guys, go home and ask your parents what they were doing. Some of you, it would be taxi driver. Some of you building houses. Some of you looking after kids or whatever. But none of them will be saying that they're going to work to play. You are going to work to play football. We don't say I'm I'm working football. We We are saying we play football. And this is extremely important because... Again, you know, in life, you know, you, you just go through the motion and Monday to Sunday and Monday to Sunday. But we have to pause some time and realize what we are doing. And what we are doing is beautiful. And, uh, and I've been blessed with that. I get the sense just listening to you. So when you talk through your steps of, as a kid, youth club, local club, and then you step up, then you went to one of the national centers and obviously then into as a as a three-year pre-professional and on, that every time you went into those environments, you talk somewhat about, well, what's next? What's the next part? I've made it here, but what's the next part? Would it be fair to say, even given the career that you've had, that you were very rarely satisfied with where you were at? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is... Um... So from, I don't know, from six years old to the moment I signed for Arsenal, I was always the top three in my generation. Um, and obviously when you are younger, you know, you uh, you attract interest, clubs, and, um, and it can be hard sometimes. It can be hard because you have the pressure of doing well for your family. It can be hard because... Uh, everyone is pulling you from different direction because we know football is about money. It's more than a sport today. So it can be easy to kind of lose yourself within the fact that you are very a very important player. At, at, the, at, at this age, it's, it's nothing special, but you are very important for some people because they can actually make money out of you. Uh, for me, like I said, um, I've never looked at football in a way to make money. To the point where when I was in Cannes, um, so that was the third division in France, and with my dad, because my dad has been instrumental with uh, with how I started to play football. Uh, he took me everywhere. So obviously, you know, my dad was 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 the creator of everything. He saved me from a lot of uh, wrong decisions that I, I could uh, I could have made, which I, I can go through them later on if if you want to, but um the, the objective was always so for, for from third division in Cannes, we never wanted to to burn the bridges and, and go straight away to Arsenal. First, firstly, because we, we were not aware of the interest, and secondly, because we wanted a steady progression. So I was I was I was ready to kind of go from third division to second division. And then once I made my name in second division, then I would go to the first division. Obviously, it doesn't always work like that, but the mentality we had so much that we were not thinking about what uh, the big team could bring us in terms of money, because that's what we're talking about in football. We're talking about money even more so today with the, the crazy amount that we can see. Um, the objective was always to enjoy and to progress. And obviously, when you find yourself in front of Arsene Wenger in Cannes with my parents telling me that, you know, you want me to join and so on, then all your plan that you had, you, you kind of put them in the bin, you know. You put them in the bin because you 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 realize that someone like him who changed football uh, is interested in you. Uh, you can be joining a club like Arsenal with all those players, the French player at the time. So yeah, um, but during all this time, you I really believe that if you kind of settle for what you have, 
then you won't be able to progress. You know, you, you won't be able to progress. And it's very simple. Someone who thinks that he's on the top is not, you know, you, you don't look up anymore because you think you, you're right. So you never look up and you don't have anything else to reach. You just look down. And, and what happened most of the time is that the people underneath you will kind they will kind of try to, to close that gap between you and them. But if you feel that you are so high and there's no way to, to reaching up, then you will just stay where you are. And, and within months or years, when it's, time, when it's time to go again, because you realize that you wasted time, you can't go again. And football and elite sports in general is like this. So I wasn't aware of this when I was younger, obviously, but that was one of the attributes that made me the player and the man that I am today. And now I'm 30, 38. I think that the champions, the big players, I'm not saying I'm a big player, but the, those who have that mindset uh, are making beautiful careers because you never settle for what you have. When I arrive at Arsenal, I see someone like Patrick Vieira going through Monday to Saturday with a knife in his teeth, you know, um, wanted to be the best that he could be. Uh, Sometimes he had bad games, obviously. But when I see this and I'm 17, my, my mentality is that obviously I will never be able to compete with him yet in terms of quality because he is who he is. But if this man who has already won the Premier League, who has already won the, 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 the World Cup, the Euro Championship and, 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 and so on, if he's training like this, in terms of commitment, I cannot do less than him and I will have to at least match that. And if we think that this guy was performing 110% on a daily basis, I have to match that and I have to, to actually put myself into a situation where I, I'm competing 120%. Otherwise, I've got no chance. You know, there's no chance for me to, to create something out of this industry. And I want to make a name for myself. So obviously, there's different factors and you need to be a little bit lucky also to, to, to make it. Also the talent. But yeah, when I arrived there, I'm thinking... Listen, I'm not going to be playing because there are some players in front of me, but I need to take bits and pieces from all of those guys to make sure that I'm, I'm there when the moment comes. You know, when the door is opening, I'm going to be ready. So that was always my mentality. And I believe that uh, that's the reason champions make those uh, type of careers. You play with some talent. There's no doubt about that. Whatever talent means, but exceptional players world-class, world-leading players in the positions at that time. Now, because of that and the synergy that you built in building the relationship, playing with top IN players, so standards are quite high and maintained both on the park and off the park. How did those experiences shape you as a player? And equally, how did they shape you as a player? For me, when I, when, when I got there, it was a little bit, it was a blessing actually, because I could find my, that's why I'm saying that you need luck sometime. You know, I could have arrived at Arsenal after, let's say, they just won the double and you have a group of old players that are still capable of performing, but perhaps lost 10, 15% of, of, of hunger. You know, when you, when you get to a certain age and you've won many things, Maybe you 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 in you're not on the on the on the up you know you're more on the, on on the downhill, and and maybe if you arrive in 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 a dressing room like that with full of players like this, well maybe you don't learn the same way 
I learned, I learned with those guys. For me, it was like going to university with all those books right in front of me. So without any effort uh, from my side, I could be learning every day from 20 guys who from those 20 guys, maybe 12 or 13 of them were in the top three in Europe at that time. It's a little bit like a guy, a, a young man who is going to England for five years and, 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 and lives after five years and still doesn't speak English. That's criminal to me, you know? You, you have a chance to kind of be in an environment where without any effort, maybe little, you can become something, you know? Um, and when we know today uh, the importance of speaking English, that would be suicidal. So for me, it was the same. I was thinking to myself, listen, the only thing that you have to do while you're here is to observe, train hard, and to create a doubt in Arsene Wenger's mind. So from Monday to Saturday, if the game was on Sunday, I was telling myself, today is the day when he's going to be watching the training session and thinking, I don't know if I put Cliche or if I put Ashley Cole. Obviously, that's silly because if the guy wasn't injured and if the guy wasn't suspended or if the guy didn't need a rest, he was always going to play because he was the best left-back at the time. And he, he was the best left-back for the, for the last 10 years. So there were absolutely no chance for me to play other than arrest, injured, or, a suspend, uh, or him being uh, uh, suspended. But my mentality was always to go there and to provoke something, to provoke the fact that I wanted to show people I was ready. Not because I knew I was going to play, but because if I had to play five minutes, I'll be ready. If I had to play 15 minutes, I'll be ready. And this is what happened. You know, Every time when Arsene Wenger called me, to perform, I was ready. Obviously, you have moments where you play uh, a lesser good game because that's part of, of life. We cannot always be uh, top draw. But the idea was always to look at all of those guys, learn from them, and match what they do. And, uh, and for me, it was a blessing to be in the dressing room because you don't. we often say you learn from the best. And clearly for me, it's at that time, they, they were the best. Were there any coaches or managers who had significant impact on your development as a player? And if so, what, what qualities did they possess? All of them, you know, I, I could I could even be saying and talking about my dad. Like I said, you know, he, he's the one who took me and he was my coach from six to 13 years old. So uh, you don't become a professional if someone is not passing on the love for the game. And he's the one who, who gave me that. So obviously we're talking about elite coaches, so I, I will not compare him to anyone, obviously. But someone like uh, Wenger is the one who, who, who introduced me to elite football. Um, and now that I'm, I want to become a coach, I can see the tremendous work that he's been doing you know, over the years. Um, the result that he had, um, the fact that he was able, without financial backup for a certain time, period of time when they were building the, the, the Emirates, he was able for 10 years to qualify his team into top four, meaning Champions League uh, uh, place. When we see today how important it is to, to be in the top, top four seats, it just shows you that at the time we didn't respect his work enough. And he was doing this by letting top player go, creating value to the club but because he's taking, for instance, a player from the academy or a player that he bought 5 million euros, selling him five, six, 
seven, eight years later, 35 million. So he creates value to the club. He's letting one player go. He's bringing a young players. And over the course of the next three, four years, he will, he will repeat the same process. Bring value, bring money to the club, sell the player and bring a, new, uh, a young player. You can only name Arsene Wenger with that philosophy. And, and for me, if tomorrow I become a coach, I will want to be able to create that. Again, because like we said at the beginning of the podcast, life is about knowledges and, and sharing and connecting with people. And when you can touch someone, and, and because when you're a manager, you actually have within your hands the, 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 the opportunity to change someone's life. You know, um, Making a young player become a professional, you change his life, his parents' life, And that's not the idea. The idea is not for a manager to do that. But by doing it, you have to realize that you are changing a lot of people's life. You know, it's a little bit like a club who is going down in championship or in League One. The, the entire city will be affected. You know, the, 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 the shops around the stadium, the, the people who are setting everything around the stadium will be, will be affected. So obviously you don't play for them because you play for you and for the club. But you have to kind of have in mind that you have to be professional because if you are professional, you have more chance of performing. And if you perform, you have more chance of getting results. And if you have results, you have more chance of staying within the elites. And then the whole, the whole game is, is happening like that. So as a manager, someone like him, he changed so many lives. You know, He took some players that were uh, not performing, someone like Thierry Henry or Patrick Vieira. Uh, they were in Italy and they were, not, they, they were in a good club because they were great players, but they were perhaps not performing the way Uh, they wanted to perform, he took them, and they changed the Premier League altogether. They changed the image of the Premier League altogether. So someone like him, obviously, is a, is a very important figure in my, in my career. Someone like uh, Mancini is probably the coach that uh, really wanted me in a club where the amb ambition were, at the time, uh, the highest of the Premier League, you know, with a new owner, with uh, the, 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 the money to buy pretty much anyone they wanted to. And he decided to go for me. So, you know, as a player, you always feel grateful and blessed when someone is saying, okay, I want this guy. And for that, you know, I will always be grateful to him because I change as a player. My statue changed a little bit when I joined City. Uh, he taught me how to defend in a way, the Italian way. And I always had a good relationship with him. Uh, I had someone like Pellegrini. I had someone like uh, Pep, obviously, who, who changed my, my view on football. So much that in 10 months, he changed the whole vision that I had about football. And, uh, and well, I'm pretty sure you guys know him uh, equally well as I know him because, you know, he's, he's probably the, the best manager that we have, you know, for the last 10 years. Um, and then I went to Turkey and obviously I've won trophies in Turkey as well with different coaches. So I would say that all of them uh, as um, an individual brought me something that I will try to use. I told you about the, 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 the Turkish culture. So that's mainly the, the, the Turkish manager who, who thinks like that. And, uh, and yeah, someone like Pep obviously is, um, is the, the creme de la creme, you know, in, into management at the moment. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure we will be talking about him later on in the podcast because he's, uh, he's simple. Today I'm watching football and his, his, his game plan and his philosophy is so clear and it's so simple to understand that when I watch football, it's very difficult for me to kind of dis put a distance between what I see and what I will hopefully want to do when I become a coach. 
I'm not saying that's the only way to win and to be successful. Obviously, there's a lot of managers that are not playing the same way. But when I watch a football match and I see a team not playing or at least having the intention to play like him, I'm thinking it's difficult to have results, you know? And uh, and obviously, he's backing everything up with uh, with the results. So, uh, yeah, Pep and Arsene Wenger were probably the, the, the most two. And uh, and Roberto also Mancini was a was a very important uh, uh, manager to me. It's interesting listening to you, Gail. Where every one of those managers, people that you've been around, including your dad, have helped to provoke your thinking. They've helped to stretch you. They've helped to take you out of comfort and put you in places where you've never been before, which really is inspiring to hear, as opposed to naming a specific manager, every one of those managers and coaches that you've uh, been fortunate to work with have helped to shape you as what you are currently and they've created memories for you. Now, just moving forward or changing tack slightly, you've travelled extensively, you played in Europe, you've travelled quite a lot, you've played a lot of stadiums over here and abroad. Is there any particular stadium or city you visited during your, your current career as a, as a player that have a lasting impression on you? And if so, why? I'm French and coming to England was a, was a major decision. Uh, I was young, I was 17 at the time and I became a man in England. So uh, England will always remain in my heart. And uh, my kids were born in England, one in London, one in Manchester. So obviously, you know, being... 15 years in England and having done my career, most of my career and, and being so successful in England will always have a special place and we will come back for sure to live there. Um, but if we're talking about, you know, some games and some stadium that I, I've been to, um, I would say the first time I went to uh, to Real Madrid, uh, Bernabeu Stadium was uh, not impressive, but that was uh, very special. Very special. You you arrive there and you just feel that it's a huge club. Um, and obviously, I don't want to disrespect anyone because I played at Barcelona, I played at Bayern Munich, I played at uh, United and you know Chelsea and well, I mean you know a lot of clubs. But um, in those those clubs, we were playing against special team, special club too. But the feeling was like you know you play against a special team. I don't know. When when I walk into Bernabeu, you 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 feel something is happening. You know, it's all white. The stadium is is built differently. Uh, obviously, you know the history of the club. Um, even the last few years, you know, in Champions League, they've they've shown, and everybody was discussing about what it is about Madrid that you know, even if they don't play well and they're not performing, they still go on and and win the Champions League. I think you know you you try as a club as as a manager you try to to create a culture. You try to create something that is bigger than anyone that play in the team, you know, who plays for the club. You know, the club is above everything. And I know it's not the only club that, that represent that and who have that values and, and stuff. But I'm just saying that to answer to your question, you really feel that. I mean, I really felt that when I walked into Bernabeu. You really feel some kind of uh, energy that uh, I never felt into a different stadium. So... That, that that's for playing away from home, but like I said, you know, England will always be and remain in my heart because of you know football. I became a man there. Uh, my kids were born. 
uh, while I was in England. So England will always be the place for me. You've played, obviously, for big, big clubs and you've played in big competitions. You've been involved in high-profile events. With that comes the potential for being in the spotlight. So throughout your time as a as a professional footballer, how did you handle criticism and maintain mental resilience in the face of adversity? I would say we had less temptation to go and 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 look for something else. You know, today with the social media, you will have I don't know. It's, it's very silly, but you have one player dribbling past one player, and we've seen it. I will not name any names, but and once it's on the internet, it's forever. So even if you don't want to take part of that and you want to try and block it, obviously you will have your phone and you will be tempted to go on all the social media platforms and you will see yourself. And, and this every day, you know, from Monday to Sunday, this bring, you know, you know, the, the, the loss of confidence re- re- creeps in, you know, and questioning yourself and am I right? Am, am I good enough? Uh, then the price, you know, they paid this much for me. I should be playing better. And then, you know, you have everything available at the tip of your fingers now. At, at my time, it was just the, the newspaper. So basically, example, I arrive at 17, I can't read English, so I'm not going to read the newspaper. You know, so I have, I know my feeling. I know if I have, if I, if I played a good game or not. And most of the time, players, if you haven't played well, you're not going to look for the newspaper because you know the rate that you have on 10 will be a two or three or whatever. So you... You protect yourself from that. Nowadays, with the phone, you will have your friends sending you article about you. You will have people that you know have your number, not necessarily friends, but they will make sure they remind you of you know the fun that people are making out of you. And it's very hard. It's very hard because you are conscious that you are you are costing money. You have a duty to perform well, and uh, and it's not always easy. So for me, at my time, I would say that that was very uh, very easy, and also. I'm not the only one, but like I said before, I was very much objective driven. So uh, I always thought that football was a, was a blessing because you play on a Saturday, you don't play well. Well, in 48, 72 hours, you have an opportunity to show people that that was uh, unlucky. And then you can redeem yourself by playing well. And in football and in life in general, you you are only good from what you just did, you know? So if you take someone who is running the 100 meters at the Olympic, if he misses race, you know, you've been training for four years and you miss your race, well, you have to work another four years to kind of make a man of it, you know? That's very hard. That, that must be really hard. For us players, every three days, you have a chance to show people that you are good enough to play the next game. And, uh, and because we only remember the last event, if you miss the race at the Olympic, then, you know, for the next four years, you have to live with that. People are going to be remembering you for what you did. At football, you miss the game on Sunday. Well, you have another game on Wednesday. So uh, my objective was always to be better. And uh, and I believe also because I'm not... I don't think I was a blessed player in terms of quality. Obviously, I, I had some talent, but I think my mentality and the fact that I always wanted to be on and off the pitch, the best version that I could be, it wasn't so much about the game. It was more about what I do before the game will kind of condition the way I would perform. Not always, because you you can play against someone who is better than you. And even if you train so well over the week, 
if someone is better than you, well, he's better than you. There's nothing you can do. But at least knowing that, you know, I can look back on the week saying, I did everything right. I went to bed, I eat right, I drink right, uh, uh, right, I slept right. It's not a case that I've been going out from Thursday or from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, knowing I have a game on Sunday, and then I play bad on Sunday, and I think, oh God, I should have, I should have managed myself differently. No, it was never, it was never, never a question of of this with me. I always did the right thing, and I did the thing right. You know, to be sure that my game and my career will always be right accordingly to my rights, because my rights is not perhaps your rights, but. I'm very content with what I did. Uh, and that's the way I manage my, my, my time. So I wasn't so much worried about if I play good or bad. Obviously, you always want to play good. But I was mainly focused on and, and worried about how I behave through the week. Is it right? Yes. Then let's move on. That's, that was always my, 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 my mentality. And if I become a coach one day, that will be one of the things that I look into a player because I do believe you know, we, we hear a lot of uh, talk in football and, and nowadays we hear the word process a lot. What, what, what does mean process in football? Process doesn't mean necessarily win silverware. Obviously, you compete for silverware, but there's only four competition for so many teams in Europe. So if there's only four competition, not all the team can win those competitions. So does it mean that all the rest of the team didn't perform or were a failure or were bad? No, it just means that your own process, accordingly to what you feel is your objective, then you create a methodology to work from Monday to Sunday, from week one to week two, from January to February. And then you look at the end of the year, how well you've done according to your objective. So for me, the process is about how well you manage yourself, you live your life, you enjoy your life. And then after you just look back, yeah, I've done, I've done okay. So, in your opinion, what is one footballing skill or quality that is often overlooked by players nowadays, but is actually essential for success in the modern game? For me, if you don't love the game, you have no chance of achieving within the game. Because the temptation of... Uh, going out, spending money and believing that you are better than what you are because when you are good, people are going to be around you making you feel that you are even better than what you are. And if you are down because you are not performing, people are going to make sure that you know you're not performing and it's hard to come back from that place. So for me, what I see with football players today and with the social media is that Let's, let's say that someone like Michael Jackson, let's say on Instagram, he's not here you know, anymore, but let's say on Instagram, he will have 500 million followers. That's his followers because he's alone. He's creating something that millions of people love. In football, you have Messi and Ronaldo, but the rest we are with a structure. So a player will be liked not necessarily because he is a player, but more because he plays for a club and because the fans are so powerful. And often with those players, they believe so much in what's happening. You know, when we say don't believe the hype, they believe so much that having so much followers and being talked about so much means that I, I am special. We play football, so we, we, we have qualities, but you are not alone. We are 25 and this is the 25 
players of the first team, plus the women's game, plus the academy people that people love. They don't necessarily love that player or this player. They love the Arsenal. They love the Man City. They love the, the United. And I think for me, that's very, uh, very important to mention because you, you find yourself in a situation where you are exposed, not necessarily by who you are, but more because of who you play for. And people tend to forget that. So when they crash, then it's very hard because they realize, and we've seen it not long ago, you realize that actually you're not special. You know, you play for a special club, which bring a lot of enthusiasm to, into your life, but it's not really directed to you. I don't know if it, if it makes sense, but this is really how how I feel about about football today, and uh, and I think it's important to uh, to realize that. In your opinion, so talked about obviously the the trials and tribulations of being a footballer, all the things that it takes. You talk a lot about process and the process of getting to where you want to get to. What, in your opinion, is the most underrated aspect of of being a professional footballer that? the general public just might not understand? Um, I think people don't realize that. Uh, they, they do realize, but the career is very short. If you're lucky, it's 20 years. If you're not, it's 10. And if you're not lucky, it's three years. So it's one contract. So I'm about to, to maybe a, in a year time or this summer, I'm about to retire. I'm 38. 38 is very, very uh, old in, in football. But my God, if, if I have to live until I'm 90, 95, that's a hell of a life to still going, you know? And, and basically for 20 years, you live a life that you love, a life that gives you the chance to stay fit, effortless, because you need to, you know, you use your body, so you have to stay fit. You travel a lot into different places. You see and you drive nice cars. You sleep in very good hotels. All of this is for free. You are getting paid to do what you love. And I think when you retire as a player, obviously the game you're going to miss. You're going to miss that. But you're also going to be missing that environment that you've been living for the last 20 years. So from 13 years old to, to 40 years old, Basically, every year, you have 20 players, more or less the same age as you, who definitely love the same thing that you do, which is football. They would probably love cars like you do, restaurants like you do, traveling like you do, cracking jokes, going through the best, winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League, winning promotion, uh, being safe at the last minute, um, getting relega relegated with your team. You know, it's joy, it's cries. And then when you stop playing football, there's nothing else left, you know? And this is what I believe is the most dangerous into a footballer's life because you wake up nine, you go and see your mates, you do what you love, you spend five, six hours with them, doing something where you are extremely good at because we are elite players. And then when all of this is stopped, what do you do with all this time? What do you do that you know to do as well as football? Not much because you haven't touched anything else for the last 20 years. You know, you, 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 you created a postcard with your dad. That's, that's amazing. I don't have that. 
you know, you were at your, I don't know, sister's wedding, at your brother's uh, birth, uh, your grandmother's funeral. Um, when you have your own kid, you can take a, a three weeks break to spend time with your wife. When you move from house, you know, you, 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 you move house and cities, you will do this, all of this with your, with your wife. We don't have all of this. So you go from a, a very blessed life into a very normal life in terms of who is around you, because obviously we are making money, but you have to question mark the fact that some of us will make less money and some of us will even retire without money. So you can imagine how, how much of an of a, of a, of a issue this is. But that's what people don't really understand. People don't understand that. I don't call these sacrifices because like I told you before, uh, football before my wife and my kids were probably my priority in life, you know? So I don't call these sacrifices. But if you really look in terms of being a human, you know, there are sacrifices. You, you, you know, I, I lived 20 years away from my family because I decided to pursue elite football. No one told me to do it, but when you are driven and when you are, when you drink football and you breathe football, this is what you want. And even more so when you're a competitor. So yeah, I think people don't realize that and you need to have that um, strong belief within yourself to take those responsibility. You need to, 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 to believe, you need to be uh, hard mentally, you need to have the stamina to, to want it more and more and more and more and always more because there are people coming behind you and, 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 and you know that what you give out from not being with your family in a year time, maybe somebody will take your place in the start 11. And so the question is how you react to that. Is it a question of, okay, I spend enough time and I need to go back with my family. I'm a little bit weak. I can't do it anymore. Or can I go again and show people that I'm resilient enough to, to perform? Because this is what it is, you know, when you play elite football or sport, it's always about competition. And you have that within your blood, in your blood. And people don't realize that, you know, it's like a drug. It's like an addiction, you know. But literally, you know, when I told you when I was younger, any drawing I was doing at school or any costume that I was making, everything was linked with football. It's like an addiction. So once you take the addiction and that substance off of our life, then what's left? You know, you understand? We have a, a friend of ours, one of the, the first team coaches at, at Rangers. Um, we had him on the podcast quite a while back now. And he, and he said, never look sideways to compare, only for inspiration. And I think in terms of what you said, everybody's running their own race. So obviously yeah. you, cho you chose your path and focused very much on process and in terms of what you've achieved, you've been very successful. But you've done it and you've stayed in your own lane while doing it. And obviously there's you've talked about having people around you that you've looked for for inspiration. You talked about Patrick Vieira and the qualities that he had and what you felt like you needed to do to, to get to a certain level. But it was just really interesting to hear you talk about that. I just wanted to share that quote. That, uh, that we heard a while back on the podcast from one of our friends. Never look sideways to compare, only for inspiration. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 is, it is true. And I think that's what I was telling you before. When you love what you do and you have a purpose, you know, uh, and you know what you want to do, 
you don't call these sacrifices. You just go because, yeah, you go with the flow because this is what you know to do. This is what you love doing. And, um, and, and I think the more you talk to people who have uh, a vision and, and something that they love doing, it will be the same for pretty much with different words and different way to express it, but it will be, it will be pretty much similar. So let's just strip it back now from, because it's been quite philosophical. But if you had a chance to play in any football in era, play alongside any player, who would you choose? Who would you like played against? If you go back into the seventies, you go back into the eighties or the nineties. Uh, or even current time? I, I I don't really need to go that far back. Uh, and I don't really have a lot of regrets in my career. But I would say that uh, I, I've been lucky and fortunate to play for France uh, a few times. And I've done a lot of campaign with uh, with the French national team. And I would say that playing alongside Zidane would have been amazing. Um, because of what he represents for the country what he has achieved in football and who he was. You know, I think he had the presence. I think he had the charisma. And um, I, I don't have a lot of regrets. And I'm lucky because I play with many of my idols, you know, Vera and uh, Henry, Canu. You know, I played against JJ Okosha when he was at Bolton. So, you know, I, I've been lucky to play with, you know, players that, you know, people don't even remember now. But he, when I mention them, they go like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was big players. But yes, Zidane is probably the one I would have loved to to come across on the pitch uh, and to play with. So that's uh, that's not a regret, but that's something that I would have loved to be able to uh, to do. Well, in your career, you've obviously played against a lot of very very good players, world class players. Who was the most challenging player you had to defend against, and and why? If if I ask you the question. To name, I will I will even be nice with you, but I'll give you two choices to try to find and guess the player that uh, challenged me the most. What would you say? Messi. Okay, I have another go. Ronaldo. Ronaldo. So you see, they, they are the they are the obvious uh, uh, ones, and and obviously it was it was nice to play against them, and it was always going to be a challenge. But the one that gave me the most trouble was Sean Wright Phillips because he was uh, very unpredictable. Uh, my game was based on interception and, and anticipation. And I was always low. You know, my, my, uh, my low gravity point was very low. So uh, it was, for me, it was a blessing to play against big strikers or, or, or players that were not so mobile uh, or even players like, uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but example, if you take someone like Robin. He always had that trick where he would go, you know, he would bring the ball twice in the inside and then cut on the outside and use his left foot. So he was doing it so well, it was difficult to defend against. But in a way, you kind of knew how to play against him, in a way, you know. Shanwai Phillips was more playing accordingly to your movement, you know. So if you block outside, he will go inside. If you block inside, he will go outside. He was so rapid uh, and he always had like, uh, you know, when the bounce is like uh, the ball is the 50-50, he will always come out of that challenge with the ball. So for me, it was very tricky. It was so fast. It was so sharp as well on the first uh, few meters. And I always uh, find it hard to play against him, you see. I knew it was going to be a, a question that you couldn't, uh, you, you couldn't get. 
So I was at the new camp in I think it was two that it was 2009-2010 when you played Barcelona and and Messi scored four goals. Yeah. I was at the yeah. game, so I know you played against him, so I presume that would likely be the answer, but I wasn't expecting the one that you gave. Yeah, no, but you know, actually, when, when I played, I played a few times with him, but it was more, you know, it was the time when he was starting to drift inside, you know, so it was more like a false nine. And um, and Shanwai Phillips was a proper winger, you know, so he was down the line, open wide. So as a fullback, you kind of need to check in to protect your centre-back. But by doing so, you leave so much space for him to receive the ball, put the ball on the ground and then run at you. So I always had to kind of be uh, creative in, in my positioning and I develop a methodology, you know, to, to kind of learn the, the football to defend the way I was defending by going forward and, and, and anticipating rather than just accepting the player to come at you. Um, but yeah, it was always hard because he was down the line coming at you with pace and it's hard to defend. So, uh, and Messi was more inside. You play Barcelona, so you are more tight. You know you're not going to have the ball. So as a team already, you start the game knowing that and you are not exposed and left one against one. So it was hard, obviously, don't get me wrong. Uh, that game by itself, you know, speak, speaks by itself. You know, he scored four goals, but it wasn't a one-on-one situation during the 90 minutes, if it makes sense. So, um, yeah, yeah, I would say I would say right Phillips was, was probably the most challenging one. There's so many questions that come to mind in because we've not even spoke about the technicalities you're going into coaching uh you're transitioning from playing to going into coaching and then who knows what happens beyond that but i have a question and an additional question is and a technical question how do you defend against unpredictable players i think nowadays you have all the tools to kind of knows what will happen and this is all about the details. I remember when I started to play for Arsenal, I was always conscious of that. And at the time, we didn't have the um, feedback video meeting that we can have today. We didn't have an analyst team to kind of give you statistics and give you images of what will happen and what happened that you can improve or what you did right. So I was just going on YouTube on my own. And basically, if I was playing against Shenwright Phillips, I would just put his name on the, on the, on the, on the church me- research menu. I will click on the, on the video highlight that fans will, um, uh, would have created. And most of the time, what I, what I saw was that fans will always look for the best bits of every game, of every player. And often you could see the same patterns coming back. So you will have a player who is more used to play down the line and making that movement to beat his, his, his fullback. And then when you see this, then you try to, in the week, you try to think about that. You try to develop a certain way of defending against that. And that was all down to me because at the time we didn't have that uh, uh, report with the analyst team, you know. So, um, and it was pretty much, it was really good, actually. I remember I used to play for with uh, against Aaron Lennon when he was at Tottenham. And he had his favorite uh, drill was like, so he put the ball on the ground. And he will do like, just like Robin, and he will actually do one, two, three. And on the third one, he will go wide, you know? So when you look at the video, the video will be eight minutes, for instance. And um, and you will see that this drill will, will be coming back all over again, you know? Every time he was beating fullbacks, that was most of his, his favorite move. So when you see this, you arrive in the game and you know he's going to do, not always, but you know there's a chance that he's going to do three contacts on the inside and then go wide because he's a, he's a pacey winger. And from that moment, you just learn how to 
wait for the right moment. The timing is important. Use your arm. And once he pushes the ball, you put your arm because you know it's coming. So it's, it's a little bit like you do a, a job interview. You never arrive into a job interview without being prepared, you know. So you will kind of know what kind of question they will ask you, what job they want to give you. And then from there, you try to build up not a character, but you you, you, will, you will sell yourself in a way that you are you are looking good. And that's pretty much the same. You know, you don't turn up in a game not knowing who's going to play in, in front of you. And if you know who is going to play, how he's going to play. And if you know how he's going to play, then how are you going to defend? That's what it is today with Pep Guardiola, for instance. You know, it's all about details. And pretty much he, he's telling his players, my job is to give you all the information that you need for the game on Saturday. So the first job is to have the information right. And I can guarantee you that if we have the information right, we're going to work a certain way to make sure that we win the game. And you have the game and it's very simple because not because we are super hero, because we are great players, but because we are well prepared. And, and basically the difference between when I started to play for Arsenal and, and nowadays is it's a different game. It's, a, it's easier in a way because you have all the access available for you to, to know where you're going and what you are going to do. But at the same time, it's harder because if you have all of those tools, then the opponent has them too. So it's, it's, it's a matter of like playing chess and who knows better than the other one, who has the better quality players to make something happen in the, in the, in the last final third. But yeah, that's pretty much uh, the reason why you, you, you go into a game prepared. Well, when you first started off, and I'm going to, going to go back in a few years now, you're right-footed predominantly. I think it was your dad, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. You played down the left-hand side and as a fullback, if you're going to play players on the inside, which is your weaker foot, in your case, it's the foot that you can you can use both your left and your right. But you spent a lot of time down the left, and you can use the left. When you were talking about players, Robin, Sean Wright, Phillips, they're unpredictable, but yet you get to understand and read. But when you're getting players who cut on the inside for you, was that actually coming on to your stronger side? It's not a question of you getting better at what you are not good at, you know, because in the end, when you play football, nobody will ask you to play with your weakest foot. You know, that, that's very silly. But if it can allow you to free yourself because you are comfortable enough to go onto your right foot, then of course do it. If I'm playing against you and I know you are predominantly right-footed player and I know for fact that you cannot use your left foot, I will not name names of players that I played against because, you know, it's never nice. But if I know your left foot is just there because God gave you a second leg, then obviously I would just close your right leg and there's nothing you can do against me because you cannot use your left. So you will control, most likely you control the ball and you will play backwards. Now, if you are able to kind of, you know, send me a message, you know, that you can use both not equally, but you can, if you close that leg, then I can go on the inside, then obviously it's a plus. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the young players. I'm, I'm telling them, you know, don't, I will never want you as, as a defender to, to, to make a pass, you know, to break line with your, with your weakest foot. I, I will never wonder. If you can do it, do it. But I'm saying that if you have the intention to do it, then maybe football is, is, is a, it's a totally different game than, um, than uh, American football, for instance, you know. There's a you know American football or rugby or basketball. You there's a stop every every 30 seconds or every 20 seconds. There's a stop. 
there's plans depending on where you are on the field. There's different plans, different attack, different way to defend. Football is a more flowing game. You know, it's 90 minutes and most of the time the game never stops. So you can't really base yourself and say to yourself, okay, we're going to play like that. The ball stop, we're going to play like that. It's not really so much like this. So if you are a defender, let's say, and I'm asking you to build up from the back and to find the number six or your number eight, I will not want as a priority you to use your weakest foot. But if you play against a player that will close your right foot because you're a right-footed guy, I will want you to be as comfortable as possible to kind of go on your left for one shot and give that pass. So then from that moment, if you succeed on the action, you will take the, the striker. The next time I have the ball, what do you do? Are you closing my left or are you closing, closing my right? And then it's a matter of, it's a matter of decision, you know. And for me in football, there's no right and wrong. I often give the example to, to young strikers or to, to the players in general. Let's say a striker come one-on-one -on -one with the keeper, a close angle, and there's a teammate on the penalty spot. If you roll the, the ball to your teammate on the penalty spot, he scores because the goal is open. The striker scores. Is it a right or bad decision? Good decision or bad decision? People will tell me, ah, it's the wrong decision. Okay, fine. Two minutes later, same situation. But this time the striker score. Is it the right or the wrong situation? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Then I give you another situation. Same situation again. The striker, your number nine, close angle, pass the ball to your to his teammate, and the teammate misses the goal. As a coach, I will probably tell you as a striker, why don't you take your chance? You are here to score goals. So my point is that in football, there's no right and wrong. There's just a situation, an action that is well executed and one that could have been executed better. And that's what I'm trying to tell the players, that play, enjoy, just make sure that instead of having just, you go hunting, you don't have just one knife. Because if one knife is broken, then what do you do? You have a knife, you have, you have a machete, you have a, a bow, whatever you want to call it. But at least you give, you, you give yourself a chance to have different options. And, and for me, that's, that's the beauty of football. And that's what I'm trying to, to, to teach the young players. Well, Gail, before I ask the, the final question, I think the players that you're, that you're coaching and that you will continue to coach and obviously when you, you, your playing career is finally finished that you then go on to work with full-time are very fortunate in terms of the amount of detail that you're able to provide them. I think you've already shown in, a, in quite a short period there how much detail you can provide and help them with. But last question for you, Beyond the uh, the trophies and the accolades, what do you consider your most significant personal achievement during your career? Wow, that 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 is a that is a very good question. It's one that uh, I would try to answer, but ultimately, you play football at this level to win trophies. So there's nothing else that matter more than silverware, you know. Um, and that's when you're a competitor. That's when you play and you have the, the chance and the luck to play in, in teams that I play for. Everything is result-driven. So um, we were talking about the process before. There's no process at City. There is a process, but the process is to get the end product. And the end product is the cup. If you go through a, a period of two, three seasons, doing the right process, but not winning anything. I'm pretty sure the manager will probably get the, 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 the sack. They will probably bring new players because that's elite. You know, when you play elite level, 
you have to you have to win. Now, if you're a team, let's say like Luton, who just got the promotion, would you want to compete in the Premier League to win the Premier League, to win the FA Cup, to win the the the, the, the Carabao Cup? Of course not. So the objective is mainly to stay within the Premier League because of everything that we spoke about before, what he brings to the to the community, uh, the chance he has, you know, the chance he gives to every people around the club, linked to the club to to have a job, to 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 live off something that is greater than than just a, a football player. And so that's the process and that's the objective. Now to answer to your question, maybe it's because I'm 38. Um, but I, I will tell you something that I've done in here at Servet. So this year, we just finished second um, in the league. That's the best season of the last 25 years of the club in the Swiss league. We were last year the eighth or ninth uh, budget in the league. That's on 10 teams. You have to put this into consideration. We don't have infrastructure, the facilities, there's no pitches, so we can train anywhere depending on where you know we have the spaces. Obviously, the budget to bring good players is limited. Uh, the salaries are limited. So you can understand how hard it is to, to work there. We managed to finish second. And um, through all of this, um, because of the work that I've done, I have a really good uh, relationship with the manager and we got to a point in the season where we were sure of finishing top three which meant either qualification for Champions League or direct uh, qualification for Conference League so for the club that is huge they played yesterday against Genk Champions League qualifier that they, they drew 1-1 that is massive like you know I wouldn't say it's like winning the Premier League because it, it is not but it is it's like, it is like uh, like a team who is not in top four, actually getting top four and playing Champions League next year, in a way. You know, a bit like Brighton, you know, getting into Europa League. So when we get to that position where we knew we would finish third or second, I said to the coach, coach, I think, you know, there's something that we have to take into consideration is that there's a lot of players that have been training really hard since August, haven't played well, but haven't played much because results are needed. But it's also because of them that we are here today, you know, because when I'm tired, they are the ones pushing me to kind of feel good. And sometimes you kind of need to, to manage the group rather than just the, the start 11 players. You, you need the group to push the start 11, let's say, if you don't rotate a lot. So I told him, I think this guy should play. You know, we were playing away from home. It was a, a cup game on the AstroTurf. I don't deal. I don't do well on AstroTurf because my body is getting a little bit old. And and I told him it's the time. You know, it's the time now to play him. And we have a period of three games. The next three games, we're playing two games away from home, on AstroTurf. I think you should give him a chance. You know, he should play. Why? Because he helped us so much over the last six eight months. And in a way, it's just to say thank you. And he's performing. You know, he's been playing a few games before. And we won. So there's no risk in leaving me outside so I can have a rest and you giving him a few a run of games. And he told me, guys, it's difficult. You are very important, blah, blah, blah. And he told me, listen, if you don't play because you're injured, then he will play. And for me, that was important because I knew the player could perform. And even more, because I knew that this year there was a big chance that I wasn't going to be involved with Servette. But that this player 
because of those games could sign a new contract and will be there next year. And obviously, now, if he plays, if I decide not to play for him to play, it doesn't mean that he will have this new contract and it doesn't mean that the team will win because football is football. But at least you give, you have the intention to try something, you know, and to try to take care of the group. So then I decide I'm not going to the game and I'm injured, you know, and I was feeling tired. It was free game a week. You know, it was difficult. The player went on and played probably the best out of the start 11 and out of those three games, signed a new contract. So when you ask me what I've done, this is something that I'm proud of because I gave a chance to someone to show himself. And obviously I haven't done anything because that's his job to perform. But if you don't, in the first place, give him that opportunity, then nobody knows about this player. And it was the same few weeks later with a young play player. Uh, I think he's 19 years old. He came 10 months ago from Senegal. Terrific lad, a very good player. For sure, that will cost more money than me in about five years because I would probably be retired at that time. And I said the same thing to the coach. I said, coach, he is someone who trained really hard. He came from Senegal. He's alone. We don't know how good he can be until we play him. You know, So there's no risk in this game to play him. The only risk that we're taking is that if he's not good in the first 45 minutes, you take him off and you bring someone else, you know? And we did the same thing. The manager played him. He was in the top three performer of the two games he played. Uh, everybody knows him now. Team from abroad are looking at him. And I think sometimes it's more than just result and more about me, me, me. You know, you have to be able to care with the people around. So maybe I'm... I'm thinking like that because I'm 38 and obviously it means a little bit less for me now than this guy who's just arrived from Senegal, if, if it makes sense. But I do feel that, you know, those kind of things that I've done over the years when I was in Turkey, even when I was in Manchester, you know, I was able to help some younger players. I would say that I'm really proud of that because like we said at the beginning of the talk, life is about connecting. And when you get to a certain age, life is about sharing, caring, and giving opportunities. And I hope I would be in a situation as a manager, either because I would be so good that I can, you know, I can convince people, like I convinced the coach at Servette to give a chance to someone, or because I would be so good at my job that anyone that I bring, like Guardiola, the team will still perform, or because I will play and I will manage, sorry, in a lower league team where I have the opportunity because there's no such... Uh, drama if you lose a game that I can give a chance to someone I think that's important to care about the people around you so I'm really proud of that and obviously you know winning what I've won is uh, is what it is but um, yeah being someone that can uh, uh, help others is is, is really something that uh, I'm proud of and that I will carry on bring uh, take with me uh, for, for my next uh, chapter Gil thank you just thank you for being yourself lovely to hear that Caring, helping, sharing is at the forefront of your thinking. If you take that into your coaching career, it'll be some coaching career. Because players sense and feel. They get a feel of whether somebody's the real deal or not. Because they're only words. It's the action. And I get the sense that whoever you work with in the future will actually get a feel of what you're all about. So on behalf of David and myself, Thank you, and the listeners. Thank you ever so much for sharing a wonderful insight behind your career. And we'll be looking forward to 
to what your career is going to look like as a coach and potentially management in the future. So thank you again. Thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure. I hope you have enough uh, content uh, for it. Um, I'm pretty sure when you talk to people, you know, you you hear those, those stories, you know, often and beautiful stories. Uh, keep on doing what you do because I do believe that, you know, with, you know, tools that, like you have, you know, we're able to reach more people. And uh, and anytime, anytime, you know, if I can, if I can help, if I can be available, feel free and then uh, we stay in touch. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.